Let's go. Come on. Humans are awesome. Hey, uh, before we get into the message for today, just a little vision about a couple things we got coming up and just explain a few things to you, especially in light of uh, next week going down to Sandy Springs and also as we launch a campus down there. I had this thought while Joey was talking like that if he were the only one to show up here to, uh, next Sunday, you would actually preach to yourself, wouldn't you? That would be awesome. It would be good too, and it would be awesome. So um, last week we had a fantastic meeting, just an interest meeting, our first meeting of people who were coming, just uh, looking at this idea and this possibility of going to Sandy Springs. And listen, what we are as a church, we have talked about it. We're a Jesus church. Amen. Come on. Like we're a church that just really believes we want to be Jesus focused and discipleship centered. We want to be sure that we hang on to that. Now, so much so that we believe that this is a long-term play for us, that Sandy Springs, hopefully, and, and just, you know, God will do what he's going to do, but we really want it to transfer beyond Sandy Springs to other places in Georgia, United States, and around the world, whether it's Belgium or wherever. And, and so um, we are all about elevating the name of Jesus. And so you'll see even in our branding and our logo, Logo, um, you see that you see in our, uh, where it says Century Church, you see the arrow, you see it all over the building. And clearly that's a very easy indicator that we're looking up, right? You see that? A very easy indicator that we're pointing to Jesus. And so one of the things that we noticed about Stone Creek is, it, is it, that if it's a long-term flavor, there may be some places in the world that where Stone Creek would not really translate. You know, in our community, we have great brand recognition. We have great brand equity. But we believe that, you know, as we look at the name Stone Creek, if you put Stone Creek in the middle of Africa, they may not know what that means. Got me? And so what we wanted to do was to be able to um, come up with some way to uh, brand and identify our church, the kind of church that we are and what we're about in such a way that it would translate across cultures, across communities, and across countries. And the one word that keeps coming up in our branding is elevate. You notice that when you came in the lobby, there's this big word elevate that's in the lobby. And so while we love Stone Creek for what's happening in Milton, as we move, we wanted all of our churches, all of our campuses and church plants to have the name elevate in the name. So as we move to Sandy Springs and what you're going to see next week is we're going to call our Sandy Springs campus Elevate City Church. Elevate. Come on. Elevate. Isn't that cool? And so you can see exactly how it matches and it looks the same and all of that. The branding's the same, but it's just, we believe it can transfer to the long range plans that we believe God has for us. And, you know, you could, we'll get end up with Elevate Brussels, Elevate Botswana, like who knows. And so, but we believe that this, so next week when you're down there and you see Elevate City or you see the aerial, you'll know that's us, right? That's who we are. It's our values. It's our culture. It's our vision. So Good. All right, let's jump in. We are in this Humans Are Awesome. And I just want to start out talking about this mindset that we need to have. This mindset that will change your, the way you think, change the way you believe, change the way you act. It'll change the outcome of your life. And here's why we need to think differently. is because when we get to heaven, things are going to be celebrated differently than are celebrated here. Amen? right? Things are going to be celebrated differently there. And so we want to be sure we invest in what's going to get celebrated there. So I want to start out just with this story about one of my favorite humans. You know, one of my favorite humans is my son, Ethan. Okay. Now I talked a little bit about him last week. He's a trauma nurse in Dallas, Texas. And so whenever our, I've got four kids and some of you who have multiple kids, they ever say, we know who your favorite is. You know what I always say to that? Not you. That's right. <laughs> And so he's not my favorite child. I love them all because they're probably watching on the live stream. But I love them all, especially when they send me gifts and buy me tickets to Falcons games. But hey, beyond that. So Ethan, man, he had this crazy idea when he was a senior in high school. 
he comes to me kind of after his senior year, before his freshman year in college. He says, hey, I, Dad, I'm going to take a road trip to Washington, D.C. I'm like, that, that's cool. I'm like, well, tell me, like, where are you going to stay? Well, I don't know. Uh, well, who, who are you going to go with? I'm not going with anybody. I'm just going by myself. Like, well, how long are you going to be gone? I'm not sure. I said, Ethan, that's a dumb idea. And so he begins, to, he begins to plan this trip out. And, and then finally, I was telling him, hey, I don't know about this. And, I'm, and there's just all these brakes I'm putting on it. And, and, he, and, he, and he does this to me, guys. He says, Dad, I think God wants me to go to Washington, D.C. He pulls the Jesus card on me. So I'm like, knock yourself out. But guess what? You're getting no dollar, dollar bills from your daddy, daddy, daddy. That's what you're not getting. And so he's like, I don't want any money from you. I don't want that. So here's what he did to prepare for the trip. He starts finding dollar bills and money anywhere he can. He goes online. He begins review apps on, uh, you know, iPhone apps so he can get like 50 cents a piece and he piles them up. He looks all over the house for any gift cards that we may have left over. You know how you may have a gift card. You got $5 left or 15. He's ripping up the couch, you know, cushions. He's looking underneath the bed. Uh, He tried to get my wallet and I shot him in the face. But anyway, um, so, so he decides to take off. And so, he kind of cobbles together his money and he's like, I'm not going to spend any money on anything but gas, but gas. So he takes off driving. And now I'm like, Ethan, can you share your location with me? Nah, dad, that would defeat the purpose. I said, Ethan, sir, listen, I'm a very important person in our community and it would be disastrous if something happened to you. And I said, I don't know where he is. Like, help me out, please. And so he did at least agree to share his location with me. So Ethan begins to drive and uh, he figured out that you can sleep in a Walmart parking lot for free. Did you know that? Anybody, know, anybody done that before? Good. Um, but he parks his car. He sleeps at Walmart. One night he pulled in the Target parking lot and they made him move to the Walmart parking lot. <laughs> and so Ethan goes through and he dr- starts driving up. He gets a little hungry. So he finds his way into a movie theater. You want to know how he got in the movie theater? I don't either, but he got in. Um, But Ethan gets into a movie theater and he goes into the trash can and he gets out a large popcorn bucket and a large Coke cup. You know why? Free refills. My boy's smart. He's resourceful. He'll get his hands dirty. He doesn't care. He goes to the bathroom, washes it out, and then he takes it to the counter. And so they look at him and they're like, you want, a, you want a fresh cup and a fresh bucket of popcorn? He's like, yes, I do. So free popcorn, free Coke. I realize he stole it. Y'all can judge me later for bad parenting. I just think it's awesome, right? And so he also realizes that, that in the afternoon when it gets really hot, there's a place he can go that's air conditioning, the movie theater. So he would find a movie theater, go in, and he would find a really bad movie so he could also take a nap while he's watching it. So Ethan does that. He drives to Washington, parks outside the city and finds a free bus so he can go in and he sees all the free tourist attractions he can go to. Then he begins to make his way home. He realizes he's a little short on cash. Guess what my boy does? He dives into the fountain and gets money out of a fountain. Yeah, you ever put money in there? It's in my bank account. No, he actually spent it. And so he, died. he gets money out of a fountain to get home. And then he figures out, he's, he, all he has left is a quick trip gift card. That's it, but just a few dollars on it. And where he is, there's no quick trip. And so, but, but he can find the nearest quick trip and he, and he calculates, he engineers it to where he knows that he can, if he drives 55 miles an hour, that's the maximum gas mileage that you get. And if, he, if he'll drive 55 miles an hour, he has got just enough gas to get to the next quick trip in the next state. And so he begins to drive an hour outside of that quick trip. He, his gas light comes on and he keeps going and he coasts into the quick trip, uses his card, buys some gas and makes it back home. 
That boy's relentless. Got his hands dirty. Let me ask you this question. What if we used that much effort What if we were that relentless? What if we were that willing to get our hands dirty, that willing to do whatever it takes? What if we were willing to be that gritty to see people come to know Jesus? Like what if we leveraged our lives so that our lives could be celebrated in heaven? The most awesome individuals are people who introduce their friends to an awesome God. That's an awesome individual. Let me just read you this story of what what happens in the Bible about these four friends. Don't miss these four friends who helped their friend come to know who Jesus is. Verse one, when he returned to Capernaum meeting Jesus, he returned to Capernaum after some days. It was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they couldn't get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes, religious leaders were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the son of man, meaning himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Like what an inspiring story. These four friends who took their paralyzed friend, took him to Jesus, couldn't get in because of the crowd, carried him up on the roof, dug through the hole, dug a hole in the roof, got their hands dirty, man, came up with a creative solution, were relentless in their pursuit to get their friend in front of Jesus. Like this is an inspiring story and one that I think we all can learn from. If you're wanting to live an awesome life, let's live like these four friends. Let's live like these four friends. You know, the first verse, first couple of verses that we see in there, It says he returned to home base, Capernaum, and and it was reported that he was at home. Now, most people think he was probably at Peter's home. You remember the story of Peter? You know, Peter was one of Jesus' closest followers. Peter, um, it may have been Peter's mother-in-law's house where Jesus ended up going to rest. Now, now the thing about Peter, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Early in his ministry, Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. Some think she may have been about to die. Jesus heals her. Later on in Jesus' ministry, Peter denies Jesus. You remember this part of the story? He denies Jesus. Now, some people think that he denied Jesus over here because Jesus healed his mother-in-law over there. You get that? That's funny right there. Come on. It's not really true for those of you who don't know, but it was too funny for me not to say that, right? Uh, I love my mother-in-law. She's watching. You're Good. Awesome. Um, so, so he's at home. Now, the way that these homes and these neighborhoods worked at this time was that if, if you had an open door, people could just walk in. People would just show up. They would just be there. They would just come in and you would maybe feed them. You would hang out. And that's, so this is what we see happening. Clearly, Jesus is tired. He's been working. He came here to get some rest. That's why he went home. But yet the door is open. And I think there's some great imagery for us and a great lesson for all of us is that we always want to be a church. We always want to be a people where the door's open, right? Come on, right? 
Amen. Like we want to be a church where no matter who you are, no matter what your background, no matter the color of your skin, no matter the amount of money in your bank account, no matter your political preferences. Listen, that we want to be an open door because here's why we believe God can do something transformational in you. Like we believe God can change you. We believe he is the hope of the future, that he is everything you've been looking for. Listen, we always want to be, uh, have an open door. Now, now, the reason why we do the things that we do here is because we want people to meet a God. We want him, them to meet Jesus. So when you volunteer here, how many, how many volunteers in the house right now? Like lots of people, right? Like hundreds of people volunteer here. Listen, if you, maybe you work in the parking lot and you're out there and some days you may not go the way you want it to. Some days it's cold. Some days it's rainy. Some days somebody may not like you because uh, you didn't let them go. Listen, here's what you're doing. You're not parking cars. You're not directing traffic, right? You're breaking down barriers so people can meet Jesus, right? Like some of you are on the connect team. You sit out the front and you, you're so friendly. You're so friendly. And the reason why you're friendly is it so people can find their place. That's why you're doing that. Right, you're not just being friendly to welcome people. But you're being friendly because we want to be a church where doors are open and people can meet Jesus. Like if you escort a family around here to the pre-K hallway or down the nursery hallway, listen, you're not just taking a child to childcare. Like you're taking a child to where they can be introduced to their destiny. Listen, we want to have open doors. And this is the imagery that we get right here from Jesus being in a place where the doors are open. Uh, story continues. Verse three, it says, they came. They came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So it seems like there was a crowd of people, a group of people, and then there were four guys carrying this guy who was paralyzed. So in that culture, of course, um, just as, as we know, par- people who are paralyzed, they, they can't walk. And, and they're physically, they, they've got problems. They can't do anything on their own. They can't get to where they want to go. I, I don't know if you remember when you were growing up, the first time you came across and met someone who's paralyzed. I do. I remember his name was Blaze Godet. I was in middle school. He was a high schooler who uh, broke his neck in a football accident. And I can remember him in that wheelchair and just the questions I had, the confusion I had, and what was that about and what was life like? And so we had this man who was physically paralyzed and evidently there's one man on each corner who's carrying his bed. And so they're just carrying him through uh, the city to, in order to, to meet Jesus. This is the imagery that we have. And we know that paralysis, paralysis can be physical, right? We can be physically paralyzed. But what we see here by Jesus' response, Jesus' response to the man was, your sins are forgiven. Seems a little puzzling in the moment. But what Jesus is communicating here and what we really need to be sure we understand about this story and about our lives and about the people that we know is that that physical paralysis is a metaphor for people who are spiritually paralyzed. Hey, don't miss this. Don't miss this. People, that, this, people who are physically paralyzed, it's a metaphor in this moment for people who are spiritually paralyzed. And it is so easy to miss, isn't it? Right? Did you notice that we live in a very manicured culture? Have you noticed this? Of course you have. You take it for granted. When you're like me and you go back home like to where my mom lives, my kids say this, everything's so old. No, it's just not manicured. Like our yards are manicured. Like how many of you live in a neighborhood, right? Like you think you own your house, but you don't because you can't paint it any color you want, can you? Right? Your homeowners association is going to see to that. They're going to see to it that your yard is manicured, it's mowed, the bushes are edged. I mean, the bushes are trimmed and your ed, you know, your uh, driveways and sidewalks are edged. Has anybody ever gotten a letter from your HOA because you need to do something with your pine straw? Come on. Hello. <laughs> Not me. Maybe y'all. But they're, we're manicured. Things look nice. We, we do that to our bodies, right? 
Like, ladies, 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 how many nail salons can we have on one street? I'm just asking. You know, we have nail salons and nothing wrong with that. I like to get my nails done. Like, there's no problem with that as a joke. Um, I do the pedicure, honestly. But uh, listen, we, we, we go to nice places. We, we live in a manicured life. And sometimes what can happen is when we look across and we see someone who's put together and they look like they have it together and we wonder, hey, why, I wish, why, why, am, why am I not like that? I better pretend to be like that because they have it together. It looks like they get out of their pajamas before noon. It looks like they know what they're doing, parenting and at work and in their career. Like, so so I, I need to look like I put it together and make no mistake about it. A manicured lawn does not a manicured life make. Make no mistake about it. Listen, listen. Can we just acknowledge that we're not too sophisticated to be broken? Can we just acknowledge that? Like people are paralyzed. There's people today, your, your marriage is paralyzed. It feels like it's headed towards destruction. You're paralyzed in your fear and anxiety that we, we hear about. It, is it epidemic proportions? You're paralyzed in your fear, your success, your money, whatever it is. We are paralyzed. Let me give you a few specific stories of specific people that I know that you would never guess are paralyzed, but are. A friend of mine has, you know, income north of seven figures, household income well north of seven figures. Seems like that would be a success. Lives in a house that's well north of seven figures. He drives a car that costs more than the first house I bought. He, he, he has a great job. He gets to travel, go to ball games, play golf, wherever he wants to. But if you talk to him today, he would tell you that he feels like he's missed out in life. He lives with this deep level of regret that, he, regret that he's not where he wants to be. He's not where he's supposed to be. He is paralyzed. I could tell you, I could tell you about my friend who lost his job a while back. And there's a lot of shame built around that. He didn't tell anybody. It just brought all this stress into his marriage. So it unearthed some things in his marriage he didn't even know were there. And then he, when he decided he finally wanted to get help, he felt so ashamed because, because of, he felt like he was defective and wouldn't measure up. And so he's paralyzed in shame. I could tell you about that 17-year-old high school student who spends her days scrolling on Instagram and, and notices all the parties she didn't get invited to. You know, when we didn't get invited to parties as kids, we, didn't, we never knew about it, right? And now it's not, not only they know about it, it's celebrated. And all the, the body types she doesn't have and the things she can't afford to buy. And so she's just is paralyzed, paralyzed in depression. I could tell you about that single mom whose husband decided he, the grass was greener and even made the comment, I'm not sure I ever really loved you and left her with the children in a life she wasn't prepared for. So now here she is at a stage in life she didn't think, she didn't think she'd ever have to endure. And she's paralyzed by loneliness. There's that empty nester family. Some of you have gone through that recently, whose kids grew up and graduated and went on to bigger and better things. And we all know that that's what's supposed to happen. Our kids are supposed to move and, and to move out of the house and do different things and be successful, but still leaves an emptiness. And the emptiness of their house is only matched by the emptiness in their heart. And they are paralyzed. Don't think people you know aren't paralyzed. Don't, don't think it. We have to embrace this idea. We are not too sophisticated and the way that you begin to recognize their paralysis is just embrace your own. Embrace your own. You know, when we hire somebody, one of the criteria we look for is somebody who's been broken because they have a level of understanding of life and ministry and grace in Jesus that nobody else does. We just need to embrace that. Thank 
God for these four friends. Amen? Thank God that they stepped in. These four friends, they are awesome. Watch what happens here. Watch what happens. It says they couldn't get near him because of the crowd. So you get the picture. They've got this guy. They come, they hear Jesus is there. There's people standing around the door. They're kind of looking back at him and they're kind of hanging out, right? And uh, they can't get to him. So now, now I don't know about you, but probably if it were me, I would have been like, oh, today's not your day, pal. Sorry. <laughs> like there's a crowd. There's a lot of people here. I don't know what to do. But the crowd came around. So they removed the roof above him. Now, now, this was not a common entry method in, Greek, in, the, in Jesus' day, right? Don't think that, oh, they just used to do that. That's the way they got into rooms when it was crowded. No, it, they, this was something they had to make an opening. And they let him down on the bed, which the paralytic lay. Listen to this. Listen to this. When you remove the roof, when you remove the roof, there is no ceiling to what God can do in somebody's life. Hey, listen, that was good right there. When you remove the roof... There is no ceiling to what God can do in somebody's life. Now, this was a messy job. It's not like Mercedes-Benz, right? If you've ever been there, you know they open the roof and close the roof and just, uh, just so God can watch the Falcons play because they need all the help they can get, my gosh. Um, and so they thought that would help. And so it did last week. Um, and so it wasn't that neat. It's a dirty job because in that culture, the, root, the, the, the walls would have been made of stone more than likely. And Jesus, we know he was a builder. A lot of times we say Jesus was a carpenter. He wasn't necessarily a carpenter. He was a builder. He probably did more work with stones um, than carpentry. But, you know, that may mess up your theology. I don't know. But Jesus was a builder and he had stone walls. But the roof was made up of timbers that were laid kind of like a tic-tac-toe board across the top. And then you had some maybe palm branches and different type of thatch that was laid on top of that. Then you had dirt that was poured on top of that, gave it a nice insulation over the top. And then you had tile laid on top. So here are these four guys, unnamed, untrained individuals who climb up on the roof with this paralyzed guy and they break through the roof right where Jesus is teaching in the house. Listen, what did that scene look like? Like where was security when this happened? So they break down. I can imagine Jesus is looking up like, and he hears this noise. It probably sounds like a mouse in the wall. Y'all know what that sounds like? Neither do I. So there's a, there's, and then dirt begins to fall and probably gets in his eyes a little bit. It gets in his hair. And then these four friends, their, their faces appear in the hole. And what are they thinking? Are they thinking, I wonder how much this is going to cost us. Like, I wonder, I wonder if Jesus is going to be mad. I wonder if Peter's mother-in-law is home because, you know, she's a handful. Like, I wonder what they were thinking. Wasn't that? Man, they did not care. They went all in. Have you ever heard this saying, when God closes a door, he opens a window? You've heard this? It seems like when God closes a a door, we should dig a hole in the roof. Amen? Listen, we should dig a hole in the roof. We should be the people who go all in, who get creative, who don't care, are relentless. We roll up our sleeves and make it happen. We don't take no for an answer and we don't stop until the mission is accomplished. Listen, that's the kind of people, that's the kind of people that God, that God uses right here. And that's the kind of people that he wants us to be. Listen, Stone Creek, we are a church that's changing the world one tile at a time. Listen, listen, that's the kind of church we are. Man, we're gritty. We get things done. We make some mistakes. We do some wrong things. We say some funny words sometimes. Man, but we really believe that an encounter with Jesus is the encounter of a lifetime. That humans are awesome. Humans are awesome when we introduce people to an awesome God. What about these four friends? How amazing would it be to have these four friends? Let me ask you a question. Do you have four friends like that? 
Like, do you have four people in your life that would do whatever it would take, move heaven and earth to get you to Jesus, to take care of your needs, to help you in a difficult time, to tell you the truth when you needed someone to tell you the truth, to tell you to pull it together when you needed someone. Like, if you don't, I mean, this is why we do a lot of the things we do around here. It's why we have groups. It's why we have Moms Connect. It's why we have uh, Bible study with ladies on Thursday. It's why we're having men's retreat. It's why we do a lot of the things that we do is so you can have some people in your life who would help you carry that mat and, and introduce you to Jesus. Man, these four friends, they wouldn't take no for an answer. And it is a great model and a picture of the lives that we should be living. You know, there's this, there's this, well, let me go into verse five. Watch verse five. The three most important words in the whole story are right here. Let's don't miss them. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Hey, these are the three most important words in this passage, their faith. You mean what you do could affect somebody else? That's exactly what I'm saying. Your faith matters. Your faith matters, right? Without you, someone could live without God. Now, now without you, someone could live without God. Now, I know that, that's a wrestle theologically, isn't it? You mean God who's all powerful and it could happen? And what about me? Let's don't even go there, right? That, that, that doesn't even matter at this point. What we know is what we've been called to do. But, but there, it's not the most important word in those three words. Most people would think faith is the most important word. The Bible says this, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, God won't look with, at you with approval. And sometimes we have this misunderstanding about faith. Do you feel like maybe sometimes if I just believe enough, something will happen? If I just have enough belief in something, it's as if there's something inside us that we can conjure up, that we can manufacture, as if it's this tangible um, liquid that we could pour into a bucket. And once that bucket's full, that means I have enough faith and God will do something. That's what we tend to believe. It's a little like this. Um, do you guys remember the story of the little engine that could? Love that story, right? It's kind of, there's a lot of different versions of it, but it basically, because not all of you said yes, so I'm telling you the story, but um, there's a train yard and there's a, there's a large train that needs to make it up the top of a hill. So the train master comes to another large train and says, hey, you think you can pull this train to the top of the hill? He's like, man, that train's heavy. Like that, that train's big. So he moves on to the next train. Says, hey, do you think you can pull that train to the top of a hill? And this train says, man, that's a big hill. So he goes on to the little engine that could. Says, hey, do you think you can pull that train to the top of the hill? And that engine says what? I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And he begins to pull, 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 pull till he gets to the top of the hill. And all the while saying, I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. And we think that's kind of what faith is like. I think I can. Maybe I need to believe in it. There's another example of this in The Wizard of Oz where Dorothy clicks her heels together and says, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. And she ends up going home. And we think if we just repeat some words over and over again, that that's what faith is. That's not the key. That's not the most important three words. Let's throw that back up here in verse five. The most important word, saw. That's the most important word in this passage. Jesus saw their belief. He saw their intellect. He saw their wallet, no, saw their faith. Their faith was action. It wasn't some empty words. It wasn't some aspirations. It was tangible, get your hands dirty, roll up your sleeves kind of faith. This is the kind of faith that God honors. This is the kind of faith that makes people 
awesome faith that is seen. James, Jesus' brother, said this. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. Don't just, don't just hear it, listen to it, but do something with it. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt has this quote, and I, and I have to think most people have heard it. It says, the future belongs to people who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Right? You've heard this quote. It's a great quote. And not to take anything away from it. The future belongs to people who believe in the beauty of their dreams. You need that. But let me tell you who the future really belongs to. The future belongs to people who get their hands dirty. Come on. Right? People who get their hands dirty. People who show up day after day and get the job done. People who go in when everybody else wants to go out. People who, people who look up instead of looking down. People who get their hands dirty. And this is the faith that Jesus sees in this passage. He saw their faith. There's a couple of words that just wrap around this. You know, one of the things we see about these guys is just their commitment to their friend. Their commitment to their friend. This wasn't somebody they had just met. They were more committed to his life before they were committed to his health. And we can talk about people and want to help them and impact them, but until we make it specific, it's not going to have legs. We're not going to, God's not going to see it. Who is it for you? Like who is in your life you need to roll your hand, roll your sleeves up and keep getting dirty? Who said no to you? Who's offended you, man? Who do you, who do you know that's spiritually paralyzed and working through life trying to do it on their own? Listen, who is that person for you or those people for you? Man, they were creative, weren't they? They were committed, but they were also really creative. They got up on the roof. You know, and we need to use our creativity at times. And I'm not talking about enough creativity to create the next iPhone, right? Like that's not the type of creativity, but we can be creative in so many different areas of our lives. Like mom, some of you moms, when, you're, when your kid didn't get the teacher they wanted at school, you got really creative at coming up with a solution to get him in the right classroom. Like, like we get really creative at things. Man, what if we devoted ourselves? Like this is one of the reasons we're doing City Serve next week. I, I, if I'm you, I'm like, well, why are we moving church down there? Can't we just have church here? Like this is, my, I got my seat here. I know what to expect here. Listen, they brought this, this, uh, they brought this idea, this opportunity up to us. We, we, we plan a year out, right? And so we could go back and say, hey, you know, what's a great opportunity, probably once in a lifetime, but we're already planned, Never mind. But we didn't want to do that, man. We're just going to be creative. How can we make it happen? We can just move church down there. And so that's one reason we're, we're headed down there. And they were committed. They were creative. They were gritty, weren't they? Man, talk about gritty. They made it happen. They got involved. Uh, you know, gritty is a, grit is a new kind of leadership, it's kind of a leadership characteristic these days. And it was a TED Talk in 2013. A book came out by... Um, uh, Angela, what's her last name? Angela Duckworth came out called Grit. If you haven't read it, you should get it. Uh, obviously, I haven't because I couldn't remember her last name. So, um, but the idea of grit and watching the TED Talk is just this passion and perseverance to make things happen. Not going to take no for an answer. I'm going to keep moving. I'm going to get my hands dirty no matter what it takes. These guys got their hands dirty. I want you, they got their hands dirty on the roof, but think about this guy's mat they were carrying. Think about it. He's laying on this mat for years. There's no laundromat on the corner. He can't get up and do anything for himself. He can't get up and go to the bathroom. He can't get up and get out of the way of people. This thing was nasty and dirty. And these four friends, they were gritty. They were gritty. I mean, what if we had that same level of grit when it came to helping people find life? Man, our lives would be awesome. Your life would be awesome. They had a level of urgency too. Like what if Jesus left before they could get their friend there? You know, if they showed up with the crowd, they could have been like, ah, it's crowded, maybe tomorrow. For this man, there may not have been a tomorrow. 
And sometimes we can get in a conversation. Have you ever had this happen? Like, should I bring it up now or no? Should I invite them to church or no? Maybe now's the time or not. And then we end up not. I have more regrets over times I didn't invite, over times I didn't speak up than I do over times that I did. Way more regrets. Way more regrets. Hey, the way that we can be this kind of people, this kind of roof remover, dick holes and roofs, it's by bringing people to Jesus. How do you do that? First of all, you bring them to church. You know, you can invite them, but what's better is if you bring them. Hey, I will meet you here at the 11 o'clock service. I will take you to lunch and pay for it. Like, I want to bring you. This place has changed my life. God's done an amazing work. If we bring people to Jesus, let's move beyond inviting. That's clearly something we should be doing. But inviting is only the first step. It's only the initial, hey, there's a crowd there. Man, you want to get up on the roof and you want to dig a hole for somebody and you want the ceiling to be open for God to do something in their life. Hey, let's bring people. Like, who is it for you? Like, who is it that you know? Who is it you'll have to answer for at the end of your life? We need to bring people. Hey, bring people to serve you. Like, hundreds of you raised your hand just a minute ago when I said, who's volunteering? Grab somebody along. Bring them to serve with you. Ask them to help you. Show them what your faith actually looks like tangibly, right? Follow us on social media and share that. Like, we, we, I, we're so quick to share things like, you know, the cat video when he sees the cucumber and he, they all jump like out of the roof or we'll share this greatest recipe for the latest quinoa bowl. Let's begin to share on Instagram and social media. It's one way just to keep opening doors and man, knocking holes in roofs so people can experience the gospel. Three questions today. Three questions to leave you with. First question, what does Jesus see when he sees your faith in action? For those of you who follow Jesus, the rest of you shut it down for just a minute. For those of you who follow Jesus, like what does he see? Last Monday when you got up, went to work or did your thing, what was he seeing, right? Like how did he see your faith work? How, how if he were to kind of go through your bank account, what does Jesus see in your bank account that shows you that you have a faith that could dig holes in roofs for people? Second question, what barrier do you need to dig through? Like there's something in your life that's holding you back from that. Is it pride? Is it religion? Is it unbelief? Like, like, what is the barrier you need to dig through? And then last question, who is picking up their mat because of you? Who's walking because of you? Who has purpose in life because of you? Who has their sins forgiven because of you? Because you invited them, because you brought them, because you built into them, because you served them. Like, who is it for you? Like, listen, if you're looking at it right now and you're a little sad and depressed, like it's nobody. It is not too late. Today is your day, right? Today is your day. It's not too late. It's not too late. Like, what if, what if these four friends, what if they wouldn't have carried this man to see Jesus? What would his life have looked like? Man, what, what hopelessness would he have lived in? But they did. I want you to think back to the person who invited you to Christ. Maybe they invited you to youth group, your student group. Maybe it was a pastor who shared a message like this. Maybe it, was, maybe it was a coach or a friend. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was your parents or your grandparents. Hey, listen to me right here. Listen, everybody focus. Who was it for you? Who was, what if they didn't do that for you? What if they were too busy? The crowd was too large. What if, what if they were too tied up in their own life? They didn't tell you anything. How different would your life be? How different. I remember the guy that dug, dug a hole in the roof for me. His name was Dennis Metter. Man, Dennis pursued me when nobody else would. He would have late night phone calls with me. He would come over to my house and fix things that I didn't know how to fix. I can't imagine my life without Dennis Metter. I would be a train wreck. 
I can't imagine my marriage without Dennis, my kids without Dennis. I can't imagine my future where I would be in my career without Dennis Metter. Let me tell you what, when I get to heaven, I'll do whatever I'm supposed to do, right? <laughs> I'm gonna find Jesus, but one of the people I hope to see, and I'm gonna ask him to let me see, to say thank you, Dennis Metter. Who's gonna thank you? Who will thank you for your perseverance, for your grit, for your tenaciousness? Man, who is gonna thank you? Because you laid it on the line for them. Humans are awesome. Man, when we rip roofs open so they can meet an awesome God. Let's pray together. God, thanks just for the dignity we have of knowing you and uh, just an opportunity we have to introduce people to you, people who are broken and paralyzed and struggling. God, people who are just wandering and restless and curious. And God, that we just be the kind of people that we, man, we would be gritty. We get our hands dirty. We do what nobody else is doing. We go to places where nobody else is going. God, that you would, we would just see people baptized. We would see people come to know you. We would see missionaries called to be sent out all over the world. We see pastors raised up to go and tell other people about you, God. That this would be the kind of place that we do whatever it takes, that we're nimble and quick and we move and we just follow the Spirit wherever it leads us, God. We just ask you to make us that place. God, thank you for Jesus and who broke through every single barrier possible and who left heaven and left just a manicured life to come and get dirty, to be with people who were dirty, to live a life that was dirty, to get his hands dirty, to touch people who were unclean and dirty and nobody else would touch and to speak life into people that everybody else had given up on, man, to tell people he loved them who felt like they were unlovable. So God, we're just grateful for that. God, I pray for those here today that right now in this moment, man, they need to know an awesome God that they need to know how much Jesus loves them, cares for them, believes in them, came for them. They need to know how much he came through, the barriers he broke through, that he broke through the barrier of death so that we could have life. God, I just ask God that you would just move in their heart right now. Hey, as we're praying with our eyes closed, you know, you, may, you, know, you may be the one who needs to follow God, Jesus today. You need to quite, finally quit playing games and really make it real in your life. You're tired of being paralyzed. But the choice, the choice is yours. And what we see in the Bible is just when we commit our lives to follow him, God, come, Jesus comes into our life. And I would just encourage you to pray a prayer that goes something like this. Dear, dear God, I believe in Jesus. Thank you for breaking barriers for me. Forgive me of my sin. Grant me a new life. You know, and in that moment, when you say that the Bible teaches that, man, God steps into your life in that moment, in that moment. God, we love you. We're grateful for you. We ask you to help us just embrace the reckless love you've given us so that we can take it to the world. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, come on.